Welcome to the Senior Story Hour, where we share poems, stories, observations of life, written by the Franklin Senior Center Writers Group. All right. Thank you for joining us today. This is Steve Sherlock for the Seniors Writer Group, the Scribblers, as we're known for short. And we'll start with a round of introductions so you'll be able to recognize the voices as they come back with their story and or poem or whatever they're going to share with us today. Hi, I'm Joe Ewald. Hi, I'm Faith Flaherty. Hi, I'm Bill Wiley. I'm Pete Jay. Hi, I'm Sue Bavey. And I'm Alice Judge. Yes, indeed. So this will be aired in November. And in November, because there's a bunch of things going on. There's certainly the All Saints, All Souls Day, uh, Veterans Day, Thanksgiving's Day, and then that other commercial event after Thanksgiving where Christmas tree lightings occur. So there's a wide variety of opportunity for inspiration for writing, and some of us may actually choose some of that or go off and do what we need to do to solve that writing urge. And we're There's gonna... also ample opportunity for mercantile activity. <laughs> the retailers are in full sway. Full swing, yes. Faith, you want to start us today? Yes, okay. I am talking about spanking and parenting. Did your parents ever spank you? My parents used to brag that they didn't believe in hitting children. But there was one incident where my mother did whack me, and I have never forgotten it. She was calling me to come home for supper. I was outside playing with the neighborhood kids. I was involved and focused and didn't hear her. I guess she had been calling me for quite a while. When I finally heard her, I ran home. As I got close to her, she grabbed my arm and whacked me on the butt and said, I have been calling and calling you. I'm pretty sure I didn't respond. I remember being too shocked. The spank didn't hurt. It was the shock that my mother hit me. And whenever my parents would brag that they never hit their kids, I still didn't say anything. I was still feeling the after effects of displeasing and disappointing my mother. I didn't want to remind her of that incident. That's how my parents disciplined us. They would tell us how disappointed they were in our behavior. Those words, the look on their faces would stab me in the heart. They expected better of us and never wanting to shame them kept me on the straight and narrow. As a parent myself, I never hit my children, but each child was different. I had one who telling him I was disappointed in his behavior would have rolled right off of him. He didn't get looks or warnings. I had to take a long talk with him and punish him by depriving him of a game or television show. Another child would cry if I just corrected her. And teachers would tell me that she would become crestfallen if they just showed her how to hold her pencil differently. How did people years ago discipline children when they're all so different and they respond to different disciplines? How did your parents correct your behavior? And what kind of parent were you? Mm. Food for thought there. Food for thought. Well, everybody's crying. Everybody's reminiscing. We're thinking about those days and how much do we want to reveal. (laughs) Right. Okay. Good afternoon. I'm Joe Ewald, and I'm on the same theme as as Faith just went through, and uh, it's uh, punishment when you received when you were a child. And uh, personally, myself, you know, I can't speak for other people, but for myself, my parents were actually pretty good to me. They, um, and uh, 
the rest of my brothers and sisters, there was eight of us, um, six boys and uh, two girls, and we never got hit at all. The furthest it went was uh, my mother was um, 100% Russian, and uh, what she believed in was um, having us kneel on dried rice. So I don't know if you've ever thought about you know, uh, such a punishment, but um, <laughs> when you actually when you actually have to go through it and you're sentenced uh, to kneel on rice, it actually hurts. The long the longer you're on the rice, and she made you do it in shorts, so your bare skin is right oh. on the rice, and oh. you have to stay on there for a certain amount of time, and the rice just digs into your skin because of the weight pressing down on it. I have to assume over time that probably tamped down your desire for rice aroni. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. Well, actually... Oh, that's terrible. Yeah, well, actually, I like rice when it's cooked. You know, you know, not, you know not when it's dried. That's for sure. And, uh, was she like that for all the, all her kids? I mean, yeah, yeah. I she, love her. She had yeah, she made kids. us... Yep. They never hit us. Never, never hit us. And uh, and I was telling Faith earlier this morning when she was driving me up here that my dad used to take his belt off and uh, pretend that he was going to hit us, and he just snapped it, snapped the belt real loud, and that scared us enough to um, get our get our ass together, you know, mm -hmm. as far as <laughs> as far as obeying and. Uh, so uh, yeah, he never, he never hit us. He just intimidated us with it, and uh, you know we were lower middle class. Uh, there was there was a lot of us. You know, uh, um, my mother was a devout Catholic, and, and we went to church. You know, every uh, Sunday, and we we said the rosary every night, and so w we had a good family. And um, you know, I I received the bike. I I don't know if every kid gets a bike. When they're in the family, and some some kids don't get a bike, and that might be some form of punishment. But I did receive a bike, and uh, yeah, it was great. And uh, it took a little while to to learn it, you know, without the training wheels, and I'm gonna fall down. But you just got you just do it. It's like breaking a horse, you know. You just keep riding it until you got it. And um, you know, and we had pretty good Christmases. They didn't have much money. And uh, they, they, uh, you know, we got something, you know. Um, uh, there was the Sears Roebuck, Roebuck catalog back then, and we used to, uh, you know, we were allowed to pick out one or two things in the catalog, and if we were lucky, we got one thing. But we did get something for Christmas, and we did have older brothers that were in college and had part-time jobs, and they got us presents. So we we did, uh, you know, because it kind of stinks if you just get one present, and it stinks even more if you don't get anything, you know, which which a lot of kids do. The Sears catalog, I remember it well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, Sears, Sears Roebuck. Yeah, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Roebuck. 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 Yeah. And um, so, but we, you know, we were happy. I was, I loved Christmas, and my, and I was satisfied with what I got. And I'm glad that 
I grew up the way I did because I appreciate the little things. Because I didn't get an I didn't get stuff piled on me like some kids do. They get maybe too much, you know. Uh, and uh, so I, I appreciate the little things that go along with Christmas and such. And we had a good family, and and they, uh, you know, they they put us through parochial school, you know, which costs money. And uh, so you know, for me, we got punished, but it was more like. Like I said before, kneeling on dried rice <laughs> and intimidation, you know, about if you don't behave, what you know, this might happen. But it never did because we, we conformed, you know. I don't like the thought of that. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and uh, so, you know, we, they, they took care of us, you know. They, we had, you know, stuff, you know, clothes to wear, you know, the necessities, food on the table. So for me... You know, like I said, I'm not, I can't speak for other people, you know, and I'm sure kids, got, other kids got, got punished uh, maybe too severely, you know, uh, you know, with a, a rod or a stick or whatever, a belt. We never did. And uh, so I consider myself, you know, lucky to have the parents that I did. But I do have to say when I was in parochial school, the nuns made up for it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> for my parents not hitting us. You know, the nuns made up for it. And the ruler of death. Yes, absolutely. The and, yardstick uh, was uh, yeah. rather tough. <laughs> well, yeah, and, and, and I was, um, I was uh, the sister's favorite. So, you know, a lot of times I never g got hit. But one time I did, and she hit me pretty hard. <laughs> and... Uh, just to show the other kids that even the favorite is going to get punished. No one gets spared. I'm having a revelation, Joe. Yes, I know. And, and it hurts. She didn't yes. even what, I'm, what, I'm, what, I'm, what I'm seeing here yeah. on this particular chapter is there'll be the, the, the chapter, which is how were you punished as a child? Underneath it, in parenthesis, there's always a second teaser line, and it's going to say, kneeling on dried rice. <laughs> <laughs> Bill, what do you got for us? Uh, I have a new poem that I wrote the other day. A romantic one, of course. <laughs> this is called uh, Love Words. Together with you in the warm sun, beside you I will be when the day is done. My love for you grows with each passing day. I have these love words that I need to say. My words of love will never stop. You spin me around like a child's top. It's you I want, it's you I need. Let's roll around in the tall, tall weeds. But, <laughs> but watch out for snakes because they will bite. I need your love because together we're right. As the day begins, my thoughts are of you. I will be with you when the day is through. When I read your letters, my fire burns high. It is with you that I want to fly. I want to sing and dance in the warm, bright sun. I will be with you when the day is done. Each and every day I have been blessed by your love. My cute little baby, you're my heaven above. These words of love come from my heart. Together we'll be and never apart. Very good, Bill. <laughs> good. Nicely done. Thank you. Yeah. 
That one, that one came up pretty good. good yeah. yep. Getting a little risque in the field, are we, Bill? I know. I was going to say, this is a family show. <laughs> Bill, Bill, you could give that to Paul McCartney. There you go. You know, uh, this isn't something that I wrote, although I wish I had. But I came across it this morning. And uh, I think for Thanksgiving in November, I'm being thankful that perhaps this is a, a good thing to read. I was uh, with friends for a week in Florida. This was many years ago. And uh, we went to, they took me to a delightful place called Celebration, Florida. It's land owned by Disney, near Disney. And it just had the most charming stores and delightful uh, place. Uh, so in one of the stores, I got this, uh, Nobody can see it on radio, but <laughs> but in the uh, in the radio uh, station, and uh, the girl, her name is Sue, and um, it's wonderful wacky words. In case anybody wants to get her, she has many things. I have bought bought little notepads from her. I have calendars. Last year, I couldn't get a calendar. They were all sold out. So wonderful, wacky words. And it's dare to be remarkable. Play with wild abandon. Live with real intent. Reach outside your comfort zone. Expand your mind to encompass great ideas. Practice wellness. Use the magic of your mind to serve others Walk on the edge of your horizons. Let your creativity run wild. Breathe in those moments that take your breath away. Think big. If that doesn't work, think bigger. Laugh a lot. Do something each day that scares you. If you're going to doubt something, doubt the limits that bind you. Whatever you are, be a good one. Do what you love and live as if that is all there is. You are pure, raw potential waiting to be born. Become the person you've always wanted to be. Very good, Alice. Very nice. nice. Yep. <clears throat> very, very insightful. Mm. Definitely. I think all of us in this time of um, time and place need a lot of um, inspiring things to look at. Mm-hmm to read, and um, so I, I thought that was appropriate, mm. so thank you. Well, thank you for sharing. Peter J., you've got something for I us. I do indeed. Um, I, I didn't go with our theme of, of, of parental punishment, but I will write something for that without doubt. Um, <laughs> All in due course. <laughs> but uh, a little backstory here is appropriate. I was recently uh, invited to attend a production industry event, which was the pioneers of production, which celebrated those who were early in the game in the Boston market back in the 70s and 80s. There were about 200 people in attendance. So I got to see a lot of old friends. And, and what struck me was a lot of them instantly piped up with a bunch of war stories, many of which I was involved with, as we all strode down faux memory lane. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so with that, 
I came away listening to their enthusiastic telling of the tale, and I thought, you know, I should write some of this stuff down. So, here with my first installment, War Stories, London, 1985. So there I was, looking for the love boat in London, which is at least 60 miles inland from the English Channel, an ocean, or any body of water that could float a ship that big. As a film director, it's typical of what we do. Just another day at the office, which is often on location, somewhere that just happens to be inconvenient at the least. I've shot movies, TV shows, other film projects around the world. London, Tokyo, Makahari, Atsugi, Montreal, Jamaica, all of it. Montreux, Amsterdam, Brussels, Cancun, Oaxaca, Acapulco, on and on. Too many airports. Stateside, the usual beyond Boston. The big film towns, New York, L.A., Chicago, Detroit, Philly, Vegas, Dallas, Phoenix, Atlanta, Miami, and so on. Again, too many airports. Back in London, I needed a visual proxy for the love boat. Something convincing. How did I end up here? One, I was hired to produce and direct a commercial for American Optical Eyewear. Two, their spokesman was actor Bernie Coppell, who played Doc Bricker on the Love Boat TV series. Some of you may recall his character wears big aviator-style glasses made by American Optical. Three, the Love Boat cast and crew were shooting episodes in Europe for six weeks, so you have to go where the actor is. There I was. When I arrived on site, the ad agency was already struggling. All they could find afloat on the Thames, what looked vaguely like a boat-like thing, was a rusty surplus World War II minesweeper. <laughs> Fifteen meters worth. This is a key moment where you assert your skill set as a director. You take charge, solve the problem. The agency's art director was the person to please. I ordered a fresh cone of marine white on the camera-facing walls, polished the porthole brass, build out and extend the boat deck right out onto the dock with a fresh railing by another three meters, fly lots of festive pennants all over the high points, the radar, smokestack, and so on, add in some colorful deck chairs, a few extras walking around in crisp whites. Next thing you know, you're on the love boat. Eight hours of cinemagic rigging and voila, there it was. The love boat and a happy art director who said, thank God you're here. <laughs> Meanwhile, I was off to a casting session to audition an actress who has only one line near the end of the commercial. She, attractively clad in a skimpy bikini, walks up behind Bernie and says, hi, Bernie. He then turns to camera, smiles coyly, and says, see what you're missing with American optical eyewear. <laughs> I mean, how hard could it be? <laughs> I soon found out. <clears throat> the agency's writer jumped the gun and already hired Anna, a lingerie model, done deal. Problem was, she could barely speak, and I needed someone who could deliver the line with at least a passable American accent. At her audition, I had her attempt several high Bernie takes, emphasizing the American R, not even close. But what's done is done. The next morning shoot schedule should have been short and sweet. Bernie's a consummate pro who could easily hammer out whatever takes we needed. That's what solid actors do. 
they get it done. But as it turns out, this day was no ordinary day. This was the Queen Mum's birthday. It was also Derby Day, the English equivalent of our Kentucky Derby. It was also the first day for major shooting of a big scene for another Star Wars film. Finding a freelance film crew was tough. Everyone was booked. We had to hire folks from the D-list, the last ones that locals tend to call on, and that would slow things down. When Anna arrived, she walked up to me very proudly and spoke her line. Hi, Bernie. I've been practicing all night. (laughs) Indeed you have. I can hear that. Thank you. (laughs) So I staged Bernie and Anna in their places, and the moment I yelled, rollover, the English term for start the film camera, a steam-powered pile driver started running, driving its piles. We all know that sound of heavy construction. I looked at my location manager, Linda. She said, be right back. (laughs) Ten minutes later, no pile driver. Hmm. Like me, she understood problem solving. I will never know what great magic she worked, but she made it go away. God bless Linda. Two hours and a bunch of takes later, that's a wrap. Thank you all very much. Great job, everyone. And it was back to the airport for home. The next day, I stepped out onto my back porch with a small audio recorder. I asked Diane Joyce, my wife, to bang and bracket a quick half dozen enthusiastic high Bernie takes. Bang and bracket means what it implies. Do several takes nonstop with various degrees of energy and emotive enthusiasm. When we edited the commercial, I added Diane's voice to Anna's take. The ad agency art director and writer both turned to me with rapt wonder. It was that, OMG, that's awesome. Surprised emoji look decades before the internet and texting OMG. (laughs) All I said was, God and directing is in the details. Diane Joyce is our radio voice. That's right. I didn't know she was married to you. Yep. Yes, the inimitable Diane Joyce, who appears on WFPR Daily, in fact, is a voice person who is my wife. She's been doing voice work for years. Excellent. Wow. You're a lucky guy. (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. And all that jazz. All that jazz. Yeah. That uh, that, uh, pile driver thing made me me think of my my sister's wedding. She she, she was married at the gazebo, you know, the center of town there. Uh Uh-huh. And and they were mowing the lawn and... (laughs) And we're getting near the end of the and the lawn getting louder and louder and louder lawnmowers. Uh-huh. And they never stopped. Oh, no, 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 no. I remember that. They're on a quest. You needed somebody like Linda to go yeah. and handle yeah. it. Yeah. That's right. That's right. I was I was doing the filming, you know. Sue, what do you have for us? I have written something called November in England. Being from England, my experience of November was mostly grey skies, drizzle and fog until we moved to New England in 2003. The addition of blue skies as the temperatures drop here certainly helps to ward off the seasonal dreariness that I used to associate with the approach of winter. One highlight of November in England is the much-anticipated Guy Fawkes Night, which we celebrate on November the 5th every year. Since we do not have a July the 4th celebration, 
November the 5th is our country's main fireworks display night, with most towns hosting an organised display. We accompany our fireworks with large bonfires on which we burn a guy, so named after Guy Fawkes, a Catholic terrorist leader, who in 1605 tried to use gunpowder to blow up the Houses of Parliament and kill the Protestant King James I of England. Nowadays, not too many people know the historical reason behind the bonfires and refer to the evening festivities as bonfire night rather than Guy Fawkes night. When I was a child, however, kids would be found on every street corner in the weeks leading up to Guy Fawkes night with a homemade guy they had made from an old pair of pyjamas stuffed full of autumn leaves with a head made from scrunched up newspaper or even a balloon sitting in a wheelbarrow while the kids asked all the passers-by for a penny for the guy. This money they collected and it allowed them to save up for some fireworks and almost every household would let off a few rockets in their back gardens on, the, on November the 5th, while the children held lit sparklers, attempting to write their names in the air with them. My family tended to get together with a group of friends on Guy Fawkes night, and would each bring a plate of food to share. Sausage rolls, flapjacks and parking were traditional fare, and my mother would make a dish of cheesy scalloped potatoes to take along. One year, someone was so excited to watch the rockets whizzing way up into the sky that she walked right into the host's ornamental fish pond and fell flat on her face. There is an old nursery rhyme which most people my age remember learning at school. Maybe only the first few lines, but this is the whole thing. Remember, remember the 5th of November, gunpowder, treason and plot. I see no reason why gunpowder treason should ever be forgot. Guy Fawkes, Guy Fawkes, twas his intent to blow up the king and the parliament. Three score barrels of powder below, poor old England to overthrow. By God's providence he was catched with a dark lantern and burning match. Holla boys, holla boys, let the bells ring. Holla boys, holla boys, God save the king. Now that we are transplants living in Massachusetts, we have a number of British friends who want to keep the Guy Fawkes night tradition alive. Since we are forbidden fireworks for personal use in Massachusetts, this has led to some creative thinking. Instead of a bonfire, my friend lights her fire pit. And as for the guy, that is usually a baby's romper bought in a thrift store and stuffed with leaves, with a paper plate for a face. What fun we have trying to explain to the bemused American party guests why exactly we have a tradition of burning a baby on a fire pit. Oh, well, I'm sure they just decide to go along with those balmy Brits again. <laughs> just make a scarecrow. That, yeah. yeah. That was very, very good. Thank you. Great time. Yeah. That was great. Thank very, you, Sue. Yeah, Thank you. Professional, you know, like a, a news broadcaster reading the news. That is it something I would love to have a go at. Yeah, that was great. <laughs> well, with Thanksgiving approaching... And November uh, rapidly approaching as well. Um, it's also a time of reflection as I'm in the middle of a move within Franklin. But I've got 10,000 decisions, so I'll, I'll share that. Only 10,000? Only 10,000. <laughs> Part one, moving is a choice. In these days, financially a privilege. Choosing a residence comes with lots of time and place changes. 
Home is the center of our daily life, where the heart rests and recovers for tomorrow's set of time and place changes. These specific walls, doors, windows frame our life. Choosing to move will reframe our time and place changes. Our worldview is centered here and soon will be centered elsewhere as our time and place changes. What we take for granted to support our daily lives will be reconsidered as our time and place changes. The faucets, windows, neighbors will be new in some ways and yet not as time and place changes. Part two. The clocks will change wall positions. The shade and shadows will also. Yet the sun will still rise when time and place changes. Trees will still drop their leaves. I won't need to pick them up or worry about when to do so as time and place changes. Lots of work to pack. We have all this stuff, which is now being decided upon as our time and place changes. Pack, recycle, discard, or sell are a few of the options each object brings up for us to decide our time and place changes. The sewing kit is packed away. No stitch in time until we unbox in the new location after time and place changes. The core of what we need in our residence will remain for the movers to transport when our time and place changes. So Sherlock, are you ready for thousands of decisions? Look for the happy day when you are settled with time and place changes. So the, the other backstory to that, there is a Scientific American article with the research that all those decisions that many of us make on a daily basis <laughs> also, you know, builds uh, exhaustion in you. Mm -hmm. It does have a physical effect. So Absolutely. I was wondering about that. I'm, why am I so tired all of a sudden? <laughs> it's all these extra decisions. There is one technique that's also referred to in it. It's called the Zagarnik effect. Zagarnik? The Zagarnik effect is the pressure of unfinished work or projects. Ah, the closure, the, the principles, the other right. side. Yes. Exactly. Yes, yes. Some industries actually use it constructively. Yes. Uh, that is... Teasers. Uh, yeah, anyone in the production business where you have a production line and things have to move quickly. Mm-hmm. The idea is that you're pushing stuff through that the line personnel have to deal with. And the more of that you do, the more efficient they become. Right, right. So that completes our round for this particular session. And we've had quite a bit of a journey from, you know, memories of punishment through a romantic poem, filming in England, coincidentally, Guy Fawkes Day falling into place, and then decisions. So. Mm -hmm. Hopefully, as you're listening to this in November, you'll take some time to reflect and enjoy the holidays and the family and friends around you, and maybe Guy Flux. You'll find out if it's around and go party on November 5th. You know, Steve, I'm thinking that maybe one of the things we could do is we could actually ask the audience, because you know they're listening to stories about how 
we may have been chastised, punished, admonished, if you will, right? You know, when we were kids. And of course, I've got my own thoughts streaming through my mind, which I will write about. But that said, I'd love to know what other people have. Everybody's got a story. You know, you don't have to be a, a writer to tell your story. And we would love to know your story. So if they could write to us, that would be great at info, I-N-F-O, the, yeah. the website you mentioned, uh, WFPR.FM. Yeah, I think that would be a good piece to help uh, add because mm-hmm. clearly the spark, would, and we all have those memories. That's right. Some of them may be short. Some may be long, and clearly, if you listened during uh, the the after the story, we were, there was a, a pause uh-huh. as our wheels were spinning about what well, we exactly. wanted to or didn't want to share. Exactly, because we were lost in those memories of the times before. Right. I'll, I'll sort of telegraph my story quickly, uh, without going into the whole thing. But I was that unfortunate kid who. All the neighborhood parents would say, well, is Pete going to be there? And I go, and, and the other kids would go, yeah. <laughs> oh, well, then it's okay. You can go. Right. So I was known as the kid that would keep everybody else out of trouble, ah. which is not a great reputation when you're a kid. Okay. <laughs> anyway, uh, I would say that everybody's got an experience that's worth hearing about. And so, again, I, I hope people will write in to our address, INFO, at WFPR.FM. Let us know. Just tell us who you are. Just lay out your story. Have some fun with it. Send it in an email. We'll include it. Well, thank you all. Until next time. Until next time. Keep reading and writing. Thanks for being with us here on Senior Story Hour. Until the next time. I'm Peter J. Remember, be they laced with gravity, levity, wisdom, or whimsy, the meaning, experiences of life become a little larger when you share them, when you take a moment to commit pen to paper and just write. This is FPR, Franklin Public Radio.